Welcome to the Stargate Archives, buried deep within Cheyenne Mountain. Welcome to the latest edition of the Stargate Archives. On this episode we're going to be doing a new feature called Stargate Cinema, in which I look at movies, both theatrical and TV, that star or feature actors from the Stargate franchise. If you're a long-time listener of the Gatecast, then you may recognise this format. It is, after all, what we used to do for the bonus episodes of the show. On this first episode for the Stargate Archives, though, I'll be looking at Arctic Blast. Michael Shank stars in this environmental disaster movie. Arctic Blast premiered August the 4th, 2010 at the Canadian Film Festival in Sydney. Directed by Brian Trenchard-Smith, he's directed episodes of Silk, Stalkings, Tarzan, Time Tracks and Flipper. The movie is written by Jason Barock. He's written Wyvern, Polar Storm, The Excellent Drone and Viking Quest. A <laughs> quick look at Rotten Tomatoes. No critical score, but the audience score is only 23%, so eh, that probably gives you the idea what to expect. A quick word of warning, uh, this will be a spoiler-filled look at the movie, so if you haven't seen it, by all means, go and watch it first, and then join me in this conversation. Otherwise, just sit back and enjoy. Right, so if you've got a, a strong drink at hand, and a comfy chair, let's begin. I'll kick off with the teaser narration to the movie. Kinda sets a scene. The coldest part of the Earth is not at the North or the South Pole. It is just 35 miles, or 185,000 feet straight above us, where temperatures can fall to 140 degrees below zero. A thin band of air called the ozone layer has been the only thing protecting the people of the Earth. Until now. There you are then. Are you ready for this magnificent piece of cinema? I hope you are, because here we go. Come try ya! Okay then, the movie opens, a basic title sequence. Michael Shanks gets the lead placement as the number one actor in the movie. Some very dated CGI of Earth and the Moon. Things have come a long way in the last ten years. Camera zooms in on Australia, and we go to the ocean surface where the vessel North Star. It is a vessel belonging to the International Climate Research Organization. Swinging into Hobart, here we meet Zoe and Jack. Jack is played by Michael Shanks, Zoe Suskia Hempel. I won't bother going over Michael Shanks' resume, we all know it. Suskia has been in 375 episodes of Neighbours, so yeah, that's pretty impressive. We change locations to what looks like a church, a group of school children watching a solar eclipse. This is our first glimpse of Naomi, she is uh, the daughter, played by Indiana Evans. Return to the ship and the discussion that uh, they've detected an anomaly 85 kilometres above the surface. And we see, <laughs> we see a little CGI hole appear in the atmosphere. And uh, this then we get quite quite interesting little quote from Jack. Published papers get me into trouble. Yep, so did Daniel. <laughs> I wonder if that's linked to the solar eclipse. I guess it's possible. You should publish a paper on it. Scientific America, feature article by rogue atmospheric physicist. Oh, no, thank you. Published papers get me in trouble. You're always getting into trouble. We add a little bit of melodrama into the narrative 
as Jack gets a phone call from his estranged wife, Emma, played by Alexander Davis. He, he missed a divorce meeting, so uh, bad boy. And we see that Zoe has perhaps a more than passing interest in Jack. Possible romance on the horizon, who's to say? We see that the hole in the atmosphere is starting to get larger, starts tunneling its way down to the surface. We see it strike the ocean not far from the North Star. It starts registering a huge temperature drop. The diesels and the electronics on the boat start to fail. Clouds of vapour come washing in, enveloping the craft. We get the actors rigorously rubbing their arms to mimic <laughs> the fact that they're cold. And as one by one they uh, freeze to death, leaving Alex as the last one. Rest in peace, Alex. We didn't know you very long, but <laughs> you served a purpose. Right, Hobart. It's another beautiful spring day in downtown Hobart. Temperature is a pleasant 72 degrees. Looks like the sunshine will stay with us for a few more days. Jack is driving around town. He gets a call from Bruce Davidson, who is playing Walter Winslow, the head of the ICRO. Bruce, you'll recognise him from X-Men and X-Men 2, Kingdom Hospital, and a bit further back, Harry and the Hendersons. He's playing, like I say, the head of the uh, ICRO, and he seems to be having a few problems with Jack. Jack isn't a company guy as such. Very good at his job, but maybe not always keeping an eye on the budget and such things like that. Either way, Jack fakes breaking up the mobile phone call and arrives at the uh, divorce discussion. Seems that uh, her problem with him is that he won't settle down. He's always on the move. He's travelling globally for his job and puts that before everything else. He begs his wife for more time and it looks like she'll probably give it him. When he gets home though, his daughter's there. We learn that he missed a birthday a few days ago. That's that's not good and she accuses him of being a, a workaholic. So uh, yeah, we're definitely getting a picture of Jack. I know that this family's imploding and there is nothing I can do about it. You're a workaholic. Your job comes first. It always has. That is not true. Oh, you know it is. You get a cause and you forget about us. We moved halfway around the world for you and you never even asked what she wanted. What I wanted. We cut to Philadelphia. Walter is back. We hear him on the phone uh, running a bit of blocking for Jack. Obviously, he, he has some respect for the man. His wife comes in. Uh, she's packing for a small vacation, a cruise. I think that's going to come back and bite her. And we cut to Rikino Island, 476 miles south of Hobart. There's a couple of fishermen and their dog, who's staring hard at this huge fog bank rolling in. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, get a bit nervous and breezes right through them and these behind popsicles. Funny we don't see the dog. <laughs> you, if, you try, if you can avoid killing a dog, that's what you do. That's written in Filmmaking 101. Next day, we're at the Icro offices. Jack and Zoe, they get a call from the authorities. Problem at Southport Beach. They drive down there and the North Star has run aground. That's not good. All 15 members of the crew are dead. Extensive tissue damage. Jack and Zoe board the ship. Find that the corridors are very damp. All the equipment is waterlogged. He places a call to Walter. Obviously Walter's a, a little sceptical at first but then goes into crisis mode. We see Zoe using a hairdryer on the portable hard drive. Surprisingly, it works to a certain extent. They do get some data off of the drive, some satellite images. Then we cut to Sydney, Australia, uh, the emergency response centre, who are detecting an extreme cold front, 90 kilometres wide south of Australia. So whatever it is, it's getting closer. And we're at the Royal Hobart Hospital. Emma, who is a pathologist, is doing the examinations. Uh, she tells Jack that 
The tissue was damaged by ice crystals, formed that rapidly, it destroyed the body. Temperature of about minus 80 to minus 100, it would have been pretty much instantaneous. <laughs> definitely, definitely not good. And we also get the fact that Zoe sees a report from Australia and sees that that is where the North Star was. So they start joining up the dots. Zoe, I'm here. National Weather is tracking a cold front. They picked it up a few hours ago. Jack, the coordinates match the North Star position. Okay, rough out a simulation based on our data. Mesospheric, ozone, eclipse weather. And Zoe factor in the rift. If there's a connection, we'll know what we're dealing with. As we do often in these sorts of movies, we have another instance of disaster. Cromwell Island, which is only 196 miles south of Hobart. So, oh, it's getting bad. Jack is on a call to HQ, talking to Walter. He explains about uh, the solar eclipse, the mesosphere, the ozone layer, the incredibly cold air that got sucked down this vortex to strike the surface of the Pacific Ocean. Flash froze the North Star. Walter is a little bit sceptical, obviously, as head of this organisation, he has got a political mindset as well, so he doesn't want to jump the gun and cause a panic which could destroy his reputation and that of the company. He tells Jack to send him all the information, and another group of scientists will analyse it as well, before they take action. Jack, of course, being the maverick he is, immediately hacks a military satellite to get more data. Where are you off to? Tasmania Emergency Response. We can't wait for Walter. We need Brent to put a plan into action. After discussing his findings with Brent, who won't commit resources, I don't know if he fears uh, being embarrassed or just the fallout if he's wrong, but uh, nothing, nothing going on here. Jack calls Emma, warns her about the danger, and then goes to pick up Naomi, who's gone surfing, of course, to Ryan's Beach. Just what you need, a teenager who doesn't listen, <laughs> doesn't listen to her parents. Right, we go to Anchorage, and we see a cruise liner off in the distance. Winslow's wife is enjoying herself. Uh, lots of pampering, luxury cruise. Winslow actually allocates more resources to the problem. He's getting worried himself now, which is good. We cut to Ryan's Bay. There's Naomi with her two friends. Jared is actually out there surfing, and this is when the cold front is sighted. Moving at the, as it said, the speed of plot. Jack says he's five minutes away, but appears just as Ryan is about to freeze to death. He uh, gets turned into a popsicle, along with Franny. And luckily... Uh, <laughs> Jack and Naomi are able to run away and then drive away safe and sound while the cold front is metres behind them. This is Brent. Brent! You just hit Ryan's beachhead. Not just hit the beach. The cold front! We know, we're taking steps. No, you don't know. We just killed two kids on the beach. He calls Brent, gives him the bad news that worst fears realised and Hobart is now only 100 miles away from the ice front. Emma arrives at her parents' house. Her father, very sceptical. He knows best. Her mother, a little more understanding. This is cold enough to kill. Never heard the likes of that before. Someone's got their brain radiated sitting in front of those computers all day. Harold. Besides, it would be all over the TV. Hey, tell us about it. Oh, they don't know what Jack knows. Well, I'm telling you, cold fronts can't kill. Dad, we need to trust him. Jack calls. He informs her that the cold front is moving way too fast. Emma and her parents won't make it back to IROC headquarters, so she better stay at her parents' house, get all the firewood they can, and hunker down. We're at the Australian Emergency Response Centre. They get confirmation from Tasmania that the cold front is real. They finally get around to issuing local and national news warnings. Zoe, she confirms that the military satellite has given them 
coordinates for the rift in the atmosphere. At the same time, she takes a blood sugar test and realises that she needs insulin, which she's very low on. So that's a secondary concern there. You always get that sort of thing in disaster movies. In Hobart, the cold front is finally hitting the shore. There's a panic and chaos. As an airliner comes into land and it gets flash frozen and crashes and explodes. I like the fact that all these people were rushing around the uh, supermarkets, buying electrical cabling and electric heaters. I'm thinking, well, what makes you think there's going to be electrical power? <laughs> Seriously. And credit to the checkout women. They were still on the job. We get a lot of montages of death and destruction. People sitting alone in their homes, being frozen to death in their cars. We're at Emma's parents. We see in news reports. We have just received word that an airliner has crashed in Hobart. Authorities are speculating that the hazardous ice fog oh that's God. sweeping across Tasmania is the probable cause. The parliament has convened an emergency session to address the crisis. Jack and Naomi, by the skin of the teeth, make it to Arco. Temperatures of minus 90 degrees. They get a call to Emma. Unfortunately, then the cell network goes down. <laughs> Surprisingly, it lasted this long. Quite impressive. That's when the cold front actually engulfed the parents' house. They are still all right, though. Uh, I'm not quite sure how that works out. They've got an open wood fire, which is a direct conduit to the icy cold air to invent the house. I don't think fire would put up much of a fight, but there you go. We're at Icro. Jack is researching the rift using uh, the systems which are being kept online thanks to the internal generators. Gets a call from Walter, Philadelphia. They've got a plan. They're going to send up magnesium particles in weather balloons, then ignite them using missile strikes, hoping that combustion would actually generate the ozone. Jack is not convinced. In fact, he pretty much tells them it won't work. Too busy fighting nature as opposed to actually getting nature to fix the problem itself. My money's on Jack being right. <laughs> We cut back to Philadelphia. They're discussing events with Tasmania. They seem to be holding up okay. <laughs> Those internal generators must be pumping out an awful lot of heat. That's all I can say. Uh, anyway, they detect three more ozone rifts. Tokyo, London and Moscow. <laughs> we get nice old CGI montages of those cities being frozen. Emma, at her parents. <laughs> They're all still alive and kicking. And he's got a short wave radio, so he's made contact with a youngster in the US who puts on the, his TV news channel, and he hears that it's a global crisis now. Hey-ho. <laughs> Pete, what's the latest? Six new confirmed cold fronts. We're estimating 20% of the planet is now affected. The only good news is that our launch area is free of ice fog. Icro is ready for their experiment. Fortunately, Sydney, well, Sydney falls foul of one of the new rifts that's opened up in the atmosphere. It's really the end of the world. At Icro, Tammy is voicing concerns to Walter about the plan particularly the lack of a backup plan. She points out that Jack's proposal could be that, but Walter is having none of it. At the Royal Australian Air Force in Queensland, they are preparing all the weather balloons. We get some stock footage of a US carrier. It's called the USS Adams, uh, operating in the South Pacific, monitoring the situation. Unfortunately for them, a rift appears about 80 kilometers from them with the cold front rapidly approaching. The decision is made to launch the balloons early and a couple of fighters launched from the carrier just before that is engulfed in the ice front. Tammy decides to take matters into her own hands and sends Jack links to telemetry. Probably if this fails, he can use that information for another solution. The balloons reach position, the fighters are getting close to launching their missiles. Will the war be saved? This is Bravo Leader, we have reached our maximum firing altitude. Bravo 203, you are go for missile launch. 
And it's at this point the movie takes a slight break to have a bit of family melodrama between Jack and Naomi. <laughs> I don't know, perhaps this was uh, in a contract. She wanted a reason to dramatic acting. I'm not quite so sure, but it, it doesn't fit at this point in the movie. Now we see the people involved waiting for the data to come through. The magnesium explosion raises the ozone layer by 6.7%. Unfortunately, the rift has only reduced in size by about 14%, so didn't work. it has got to eat a bit of crow now, and hopefully Jack has got something in hand. With the failure of the project, Walter gets on the network, announces to all his people that they've just got to protect themselves. At this stage, there's nothing else they can do. Apologises, Jack wasn't involved right from the word go, and asks what he needs. Jack tells him that... He needs a high-altitude delivery system rocket to seed ammonia nitrate above the ozone layer. It will detonate by itself and create lightning storms which will generate ozone, which will seal the rift. Let Mother Nature do the work for him, which is what he's been saying all along. Walter agrees, and at that point he learns that his wife on a cruise ship is dead. We see part of the montage, the cruise liner encased in ice. Not going to be many people left after all this, is there? <laughs> A little later, Naomi notices that Zoe isn't looking very well. As we know, we've seen her testing her blood sugar and drinking lots of water. Uh, Zoe collapses. We realise that she hadn't been taking any insulin for the last couple of days. She ran out, wasn't planning on being in the office that long. Jack decides to go into town. It's, it's only minus 50. <laughs> Remember, this is Fahrenheit, so that's probably not so bad. It's just a very, very bad winter day. Anyhow, Jack goes outside into his Jeep, his SUV. The windscreen cleans like a dream. Oh, if only a frosted up windscreen was cleaned that easily in British weather. It doesn't happen that easy. Anyway, he gets the cars started and off he goes into town. Naturally, as Jack is out the building, this is the time Walter takes the call. And he isn't very pleased that Jack has gone out looking to save one person's life when the whole world is at stake. He asks Naomi to check on the simulation. The computer says it's complete. She's not overly overjoyed about having to handle this high tech. Uh, meanwhile, Jack is uh, breaking into the pharmacy. <laughs> there are lots of dead bodies around. Uh, this is going to be one hell of a clean up mess. Oh, and if things don't get even more complicated, just as uh, Naomi is uploading the data, the generator goes out. And Jack, well, Jack finds out that the pharmacy is inhabited by the owner who takes a, well, not a baseball bat, but a long piece of wood to him. There's a brief struggle. Jack points out he only wants a bit of insulin, but the guy says it doesn't really matter. The world's going to die anyway. Brace yourself. Here is the message of the movie. We're all dying. The world is dying. Why did God let this happen to us? God didn't do this. We did this to ourselves. We polluted our atmosphere. Jack makes it back to Icro, finds Zoe and Naomi huddled together, staving off the chill. He uh, injects insulin and heads off to fix the generator. Meanwhile, Winslow gets a call from Vandenberg Airbase. The missiles are ready to go. Pre-launch sequence needs to start. They need the targeting data. They've got about 40 minutes and that's it. As we see San Francisco, Rio de Janeiro, Amsterdam, Hong Kong engulfed by the ice storm. Quite a long montage. We watch Jack fixing the generator and he does it. Power comes back on and he rushes back to the control room. The computers are back on, they check the data, it's safe and sound. It gets sent to Philadelphia, and then passed on to Vandenberg. The three missiles launch, 38 minutes to interception. 
38 minutes, nice. We get quite a long montage of people gazing at computer monitors. They were sitting around for a long time just watching them, but what the hell. The three missiles explode above the rift. We see huge electrical discharges and the rift slowly begins to close. The ozone layer sensors indicate that it's increased by 80%. Celebrations, world is saved, hugs all round. The aftermath, of course, Walter is in his office looking at a picture of his wife, who he lost. Tammy offers her condolences. Meanwhile, the sunshine is out, ice is melting off the buildings and the flowers and cars, etc. And the police car pulls up outside Emma's parents' house and out jump Naomi and Jack with Zoe in tow. Jack is offering to resign, you've got to give two weeks notice. Emma, she doesn't seem too bothered at this point. Husband is safe, her daughter is safe. Zoe looks a bit pensive, feeling that she had she had feelings for Jack and his divorce may have opened up a few options for her, but wasn't to be. Jack had to go and save the world. That's what being a hero is all about. And that is Arctic Blast. What can you really say about it? A low budget disaster movie, reasonably well made. The script wasn't fantastic, the acting was perfectly okay. Special effects, some very good, some very basic. I'm not going to criticise it too much. We've seen huge budget disaster movies which deliver pretty much exactly the same. A few thrills and spills and the family melodrama thrown into the mix. All in all, a decent outing for Michael Shanks. Right, what's going to be next on the Stargate archives? Well, the reason I'm doing this is basically because I don't really want to keep talking about Stargate. No, that's not quite right. Talking about Stargate by myself, that's it. It's been more difficult than I imagined to get people on the show. Don't want to go cap in hand, obviously. Everybody's got calls on their time, so I never want to push it. We did a full run through the three live action series on the Gatecast. We uh, redid a couple of seasons of SG-1 just to get decent quality via the Stargate archives. I've still having a guest on talking about the odd episodes, but... I'm always looking for something different to do. So, Stargate Theatre. Spend a bit more time looking at productions that the main Stargate actors did outside of their time on the franchise. First one, as we've just discussed, Michael Shanks and Arctic Blast. And the next one, I'm probably thinking maybe a, a shark movie. Uh, there's been plenty of them about, or a monster movie, somewhere along that vein. We'll see. Okay then, thank you very much for listening. Let me know what you think. If you want to join me talking about uh, Stargate or and maybe a movie like this, please get in touch. Stargatearchives at gmail.com, stargatearchives.com. Uh, you find us on Twitter, at The Gatecast, and we're also on Facebook, of course, RSS Feeds and Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Amazon Music, and, of course, plain old RSS Feeds you can manually add to any podcatcher. Right then, so until next time, I've been Mike, take care, bye-bye. <laughs>